Hi everyone, today's bonus episode is a story from one of our very own. It will be part one, so look for more episodes to come. I hope you enjoy. Welcome everyone to Bringing Kids Home, a TBHC foster care and adoption production. I'm Kristen, TBHC's Outreach and Communication Admin. We are excited you are joining us today for a special episode about the Ministry of Serving Children through TBHC. We want you to hear how you can make a difference in a child's life. Today's podcast is sponsored by Imagination Learning Center. They nurture children with a positive environment, focus on creativity, education, and self-confidence, and share our faith in God. Find out more at www.imaginationcenter.com. We are grateful to Imagination for supporting today's stories. Now stick around and hear about ordinary people doing extraordinary things to help bring kids home. Hi, everyone. My name is Laurie Henthorn. I'm the Donor Engagement Manager with TBHC. And we are here today talking with Joanna Noggle. Joanna is our records coordinator, and she came to work here in 1969. And she left us a couple of times throughout those years. What was it, 53 years? Okay. To pursue other things. But all in all, do you remember exactly how many years you've been with TBHC? Around 40-ish. Plus, I was on the board for seven years. Okay. Okay. So, lots of years of service and experience and knowledge of things that have gone on through the years. So, we are just so tickled to have Miss Joanna here today. And she is an icon here at TBHC. So, tell us in a nutshell how you came to work here. Right. It had been Texas Baptist Orphanage. Then that got changed to Texas Baptist Home for Children. And so through the earlier years, it was always referred to as the orphanage. So when I came here, we were in the process of training people to say the home Mm -hmm. because we wanted them to think of this more as a home and not an institution. Absolutely. So who was at the helm when you arrived? Brother C.B. Stanley had just finished his long tenure and his son, Brother Ted Stanley, had become president of the home. Okay. From what I've understood, you had you were still uh, working with Brother C.B. I saw Brother C.B. He would come over every day to visit Mm -hmm. and to check on his son and make sure he was doing a good job (laughs) and that everything was going well. And uh, so I had a relationship with him. And then I began the work with Brother Ted Stanley. They had a really close relationship. Brother C.B. somewhat as the father figure because we had at that time matrons, not married couples for the most part. And so most of them were widowed ladies. and um, They would turn to him for advice on how to do finances and everything else, plus the care that they did for the children. Mm -hmm. And so he was thought of somewhat as the father role. Brother Ted Stanley was thought of somewhat as the pastor. which both men, they did treat them that way, but Brother Ted uh, started a new era, and he was a friend of the kids. Mm, The kids loved to go to him because he could fix their bikes, he could fix their toys that were broke, he would go out on the ball field and throw a few um, balls with them, and he, he really enjoyed playing with the kids when he had time, and was available. Right. For those of you that are listening that don't know, every uh, year we have homecoming 
And one of the most impactful things I heard this in talking to one of the alumni, she only had one regret living here. It was never telling Brother Stanley and Miss Campster how much she loved him. At that time in the history of the home, it was very much a family type situation. Mm -hmm. When I came, this building that we're sitting in was not here. Mm -hmm. There was the two-story what we referred to as Old Main, mm -hmm. and the girls lived upstairs. The dining hall was downstairs in the study hall, and Miss Camster had a little apartment downstairs, and there was a big room that they kept all the supplies in, the used clothes and all that kind of stuff, and you could just go in there and spend the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, then right next to it, joined to this building, was what was referred to as the boys' building, and it was a two-story building with boys upstairs, boys downstairs. And then across the street was the nursery building where the preschool-age children, boys in the back, girls in the front, mm -hmm. lived. And then we had one cottage on campus, which Brother and Miss Fox lived in. can't think of the name of the building now. But at any rate, it's where the teenage girls live. Okay. So... It was totally a different campus than what it is today. Right. Yeah, and I think a lot of people still think of us as being an orphanage style. Especially the churches that are away from this area. Mm -hmm. They still think of it as the institutional type setting rather than the group homes and the transitions that have happened mm -hmm. through the years. Right. Um, so let's talk about that for a second. The, it was already in the planning stage, Brother CB had, and Brother Ted had been working toward that, and then um, in 1970, the home celebrated 60-year anniversary, so they developed a campaign of 60 and 70, mm -hmm. asking all the individuals and churches to donate $60 toward the beginning of building the homes on campus that would become, they're called cottages, mm -hmm. but they're large homes mm -hmm. is what they are. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of that. They built two at a time. How did the children seem to adapt to dividing them out into homes? Oh, they thought it was great did because they? they were moving into a new house mm -hmm. and um, smaller setting. What we tried to do initially, we tried to put sibling groups together. And if we had a sibling group of five, then they would be in the same building and we would put a sibling group of three or four also in that building. So we tried to group it where there would be like a couple of sibling groups because okay. back then we had much larger sibling groups than we do today. Okay. So that was an opportunity for brothers and sisters to live in the same building. Just in some of the reading that I've done about our history, I, some of the same names keep coming up and just seem to be some really well-loved folks in our in our past. And I want you to talk about them. And let's start with Miss Campster since we've already brought her up. Miss Campster was a really wise woman and a kind person and very smart. She was able to oversee the academics of all of the children here. Mm -hmm. She worked with the schools. She worked with the children. She worked with the matrons. And she had study hall every afternoon. She uh, really helped the children 
elevate their achievements in academics, as well as uh, she was a friend to the children. Now, she wasn't buddy-buddy to the children. That wasn't her nature because she was quieter and more withdrawn. But she made sure that they had their afternoon snack and that they came to study hall and they studied, mm-hmm. whether they wanted to or not. <laughs> and then she pretty much oversaw the uh, other matrons and so forth, somewhat supervised position. Yeah. Do you have uh, any special favorite memories of her or any stories? That uh, my own boys started school after I came here and they would go to study hall. She taught my boys how to read and have good um, principles in studying and so forth. She was very good with not just the kids from the home, but with my sons. Mm -hmm. And um, just in a very quiet way, got things done. She didn't yell and order and anything like that. She could just very quietly tell you to do something and you did it. That's a gift. Yeah, that is a gift. I would like to have that with my own children. Yes, I would too. She taught me a lot of things about being a mother. Oh, I'm sure. You know, how to not be so demanding, but just enforce what I said. Uh-huh. It's a good lesson to learn. Mm-hmm. Boy Owens, tell us about him. He was here forever. Farm manager. Uh, his wife worked as um, a matron for a number of years, a relief worker, I believe, for a number of years. And then she had finally retired, but he stayed on. He oversaw, at one time we had a dairy. Mm-hmm. And so he was over the dairy and over the boys who worked the dairy. And if you ask the boys, they would say he was a bit hard on them because he was demanding, but he was also trying to teach them how to do things right and so forth. And then after we closed the dairy, we had a lot of land around here, which now other agencies are using, but he oversaw all of the farming on those lands and so forth. And he uh, was just a very smart in agriculture. Mm-hmm. Older person, finally retired, but he didn't want to because he liked to be out there on the plow or checking on it. And he'd be telling me about how the wheat was. And I didn't know anything about it, but I listened. <laughs> and uh he would give good reports, and then we started leasing out the farmland, and he took care of all of that. So he, he was well known here for over, really, for about 40 years. And um, But the older kids that would come back would say, you did not want to get in on his bad side. <laughs> Note to self, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, you and I were talking a while back about a couple of women who uh, worked in the kitchen, I believe. Tell mm-hmm. us about both of them. Elnor Turner was the cook over at the nursery building for the younger boys and girls. And they called her the good cooker. And <laughs> she was a good cook. She not only would come in and cook every morning, but she would help get the laundry done and so forth. But she could scoot those little boys and little girls around and help the house mothers over there to get things done. But all the kids loved her. And so when we finally built the cottages, the question was, well, what are we going to do about Elnora? We can't just let her go. She's she's too valuable to the home. Mm-hmm. So she went over to um, one of the cottages where Miss Betty went to, and she was the cook over there. Then at one point, we had a daycare. She helped and she cooked and helped in the daycare 
uh, she worked here as long as she physically could mm -hmm. because all the kids loved her and she loved all the kids. She was just the sweetest person ever. I don't think she had any children of her own. Mm -hmm. Her husband drove a taxi and he would bring her to work in the taxi and then he would come pick her up. And if he couldn't, we would take her home. Okay. And uh, just wow. the sweetest person, big, kind of a big lady and um, very, very spiritual, knew the Lord. She'd be singing her hymns and everything. We all loved her. I love that. And then Ethel, Miss Ethel Bunn worked here in the main dining room. And I don't know how she did it. There would be maybe 50 kids plus staff. And every day she would cook the meals for them. She'd cook breakfast, she'd cook lunch, and she'd cook dinner. Then she would leave after lunch, and Miss Camster would help the older girls warm up the dinner. Okay. But um, she was a really, really nice person, uh, kind, soft-spoken. She just did her work, and she taught those older girls who would go in and help. They had kitchen duty, and she would not just teach them how to cook. She taught them about life. Real sweet person. That is amazing. Not not what you think of as a, a no. typical situation in an orphanage, but I love that. Um, so as we're doing this podcast, it's summertime. We're going into summertime. And um, so I just kind of have been thinking, wondering what the kids' lives were like on a on a typical summer day. Can you kind of take us into some of that? Um, yes. Now, during the summer, we usually, well, we always had back in the 70s and 80s, there was a two-week period of time that the children would go on vacation. The children and staff, the whole home would just close down, and there would just be minimal staff here. I was usually one of those minimal staff, but um, <clears throat> they would go for a visit with their church sponsor, usually. But then other than that, they would be here to take care of the big garden that Mr. Owens would plant. Mm -hmm. And they would be out there working in that garden. And every afternoon, we would have what we call the pea party because they would be shelling peas. And uh, they would, the boys and the girls would have their time in the dining room. And Miss Campster would be supervising them to make sure that the job got done <laughs> and they would be tending to all of the vegetables and so forth. But other than that, it was just play, play, play. Kids would be out on the playground and they would be having lots of fun during the mornings. Then they'd have lunch. Then in the afternoon, you either worked the pee party or you took a nap <laughs> and or you read your books and things like that. But then at three o'clock every afternoon, the big bell would ring and Roland and Brother Ted would have sliced up all of the watermelon and staff and kids alike would all meet out underneath the trees at a big table and we'd all eat watermelon together. Yeah. And that was just a, a fun event because it helped the staff and children to have a lot of interaction. I love that. Yeah, it um, was a fun time as well as we had kids who played ball. We had kids who took swimming lessons and just all of the normal activities the only thing is it was a lot of running and <laughs> I, I can remember that. a friend of mine from the church and myself went over to the optimist pool and we took the youngest girls 
and we taught them swimming lessons. And she and myself, neither one was really swimmers, but we just taught them the basics. And they had such fun that they thought they were learning to swim anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe you mentioned in a previous conversation something about, uh, you know, how nowadays if if your kid is playing t-ball or little league or whatever you got to you know work the concession stands and all that so how did that work with with these children not having parents to do that for them because their house mothers could not usually leave and go do it myself and some of the other support staff would work all the concession stands Mm -hmm. we made sure that our kids didn't uh, feel embarrassed if they didn't have anyone to do those things. And I can honestly say there were times that I worked like seven ball games in a week. Oh my. Yeah. But my kids, my own kids loved it because they would play around, they'd dig in the dirt and find all kinds of money and coins that people had dropped mm-hmm. and they'd get a free Coke out of the deal. Right. And uh, my husband would watch the boys and cheer for them playing their games and I'd help do the popcorn and all of that. But we always made sure that our kids did not feel like they didn't have someone to do those kinds of things for them. Oh, that's so important. I love that. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to get in touch with today's guest or any of our previous guests, you can contact us through our email, podcast at tbhc.org. That's podcast at tbhc.org. Leave us a comment, recommend a guest to our show, and give us a five-star review wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe. For more information, check out our website, tbhc.org, and discover how you can participate in bringing kids home.